0: I think I've reached that point in life to where I went from a teenager who thought my parents, let's just be honest, thought my parents were some of the dumbest people to ever walk the earth, to this point in life to where I'm slowly but surely beginning to see how much they really did for me over the years. Parents, there's hope, I promise. And teenagers, you know what I'm talking about. And so, I say all that to say this. Over the last couple of months, I've talked to my dad a lot and He's called me some days and he's just been like, well, Austin, how's life? And I was like, dad, it is so busy. It's just overwhelming. And sometimes I don't really even know what's going on. And I thought the first time I said that, he'd be like, show me some pity, but he was just like, well, son, wait till you have two or three kids rolling around and see what you think. (laughs) And so I think it's that thing in life where we all relate. We just seem to get busier and busier and busier. We have places we need to be that we can't make it simply because we don't have time. We have people that need our care and our attention, but we simply can't do it because we have so many other people in our life that are expecting us to take care of them. And I'm afraid there are so many times in our lives that we get so caught up in going from one activity to another activity to another activity that by the time we're done, our day is complete. And sometimes we forget why we're doing things and and what we're doing at that. And I think it's when storms in life come that we need to seek the calm and we need to be reminded of the calm. It's the it's the when the turmoil comes in life we need to seek and we need to hold on to the peace that we once had. It's those times in life where we're hearing so many voices. We've got society telling us one thing, our friends and our family telling us another thing. We've just got so much pressure and so much noise that we need to seek and hold on to silence. It's the times in our life where things get so complex and and we just don't know what's going on or, or even how to comprehend some things that we need to seek simplicity. It's the times in our life where we forget exactly who we are and who we're supposed to be and we're just forgetful that we need to be reminded. And tonight, that's, that's what I want us to do, is I want us to do just that. I want us tonight to, to step back from the crazy busy lives that we live and to simply be reminded of a few things from God's word tonight. And I think that word reminded kind of holds two meanings. The first of which I read this story in a, in a youth ministry book, it was called things to not do while you're interning. And chapter one was, don't hit a senior citizen sign. (laughs) This imaginary book was written by me. I hit the senior citizen sign. I've tried to forget that day, but there's one thing that happened that it just cracks me up every time I think about it. It was that, by the way, I did this like two hours before the internship was over. So I made it the entire summer and I dreaded telling Tim Martin, oh man, that was terrible. But... We pulled around. I had done it many, many times before, but this time I was like, I'm going to get close enough to where the kids don't have to step over the elevation. They can just step right into the bus. Well, sure enough, I hear a loud bang and there's a trillion pieces on the ground and hole in the bus. But anyway, the worst part of the story is every kid that was there that day was standing right there on the sidewalk and they saw the entire thing. So it happens, I just kind of put my head down and I'm just like, oh man, I don't even know what to do. And right when I step out of the the bus, Joel Thompson comes running up to me, and he says, hey, you just hit the senior citizen sign. (laughs) Thank you, Joel, for the reminder. There are some things in life that we're reminded about that we already knew. And then I think of, of other times in life, like the other day when I was leaving the office, and I went outside and I began to look around for my car. And I, it wasn't there. And so I did the, the pocket check and my keys were there. And I was confused for like two minutes. And I remembered I walked to work. <laughs> and so sometimes we're reminded of things that we forget. And so we're all going to fall into to one of those two, those two categories tonight. So either A, we're going to talk about some things that you knew or B, we're going to talk about some things that you already know, but we're just reminded about. And so I hope tonight we, every person in here can be both edified and also challenged. The first thing I want us to, to be reminded of tonight is that God loves you. Romans chapter five and verse eight, God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we think about the concept of love in our modern society, the majority of the love that we portray towards other people is through our words. We tell people how much they mean to us. We we tell people that we love them. But what I find so interesting in the life of Jesus is yes, Jesus told people how much that he loved them through his words. But at the end of his life, Jesus demonstrated to us how much he loved us, not through words, but through silence. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 in verse 7 says, And he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And then I think about Matthew chapter 26 and verse 63, where Pilate says, Jesus, are you not going to test? Are you not going to make a, a request? Like, what are you? Are you going to do anything? And verse 63 says, and Jesus remained silent. First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter two, sorry. First Peter chapter two and verse 22. It says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. When we think about this concept of Jesus being silent, I don't want you to think tonight that Jesus didn't say a word throughout his trial because he did. But what I am saying is that Jesus had every right to make a defense for himself because his trial was completely illegal. Notice a few things. There was no legal basis for Jesus' arrest because no one had presented a formal charge of any crime. He was simply taken. The second thing, Jesus was subjected to a secret preliminary examination at night. Jewish law permitted only daylight proceedings. Number three, the indictment against Jesus was illegal because the judges themselves brought up the charge without any prior testimony by witness. The court illegally proceeded to hold its trial of Jesus before sunrise so that no one would be available to testify on his behalf. The trial began on a day before an annual Sabbath, even though Jewish law did not permit the trial of a capital offense to begin on a Friday or the day before any annual Sabbath. Jesus' trial was concluded in one day, which is against Jewish law. Two false witnesses charged Jesus with saying he would destroy the temple made with hands, yet he was condemned by the court on another false charge, that of blasphemy. The merits of Jesus' defense were not considered. Those who would have voted against condemnation were not at Jesus' trial. Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the court, yet he was not there. The sentence was pronounced in a place forbidden by law, And the court illegally switched the charges from blasphemy to treason before Pilate. Jesus had every right to say something. He could have gotten out innocent, but instead we see places like Luke chapter 23 and verse three where Pilate says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And he simply says, It is as you say, through the silence of Jesus, we see the overwhelming love that he has for his children. You may be sitting in the pews tonight thinking, Austin, there's no way God could love me. The things I've done, the people I've hurt, the promises that I've broken, that I've made with God there is no way a holy God could love a sinner like me. When you see this, you may just see a few different colors of paper. But when I see this, it's so special because Emma Haley made it for me. When you see this, you may just, you may just see rubber bands, but I see something that Lindsay Black made for me. When you see this pen, you may just say, well, yeah, that's just a pen, but, but I think of Ryan Rupel and how he bought this for me because he knew how much I loved Braves baseball. Or when you see this piece of paper, you may just say, well, yeah, that's a, a piece of paper that a kid drew on, but my niece gave me this piece of paper before I left to come here. You see, these things aren't exactly special to me because of what they are. They're special to me because who gave them to me? And when you look at your life and, and, and when we notice how unworthy we are, we must be reminded that God loves us so much because he created us. And it's not necessarily about who we are. It's about whose we are. God says, I love you. The second thing that I want us to be reminded of tonight is that God says, I need you. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're not going to read the entire passage, but in verses 12 through through the end of the chapter, really, we have a familiar passage where, where, where Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is illustrating to us the beauty of the church and and how we're all different members, but we're a a part of the same body. And so he he illustrates this by talking about a foot and an ear and an eye. But I want us to, to go down to verse 21. The Bible says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts, listen to this, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Let's think about your car for just a second. It's rained a whole lot over the past couple of weeks. Let's imagine you you were going down the road one night and it was raining really hard and your windshield wipers weren't working. That wouldn't be good news, would it? But that's just a small part of the car. It shouldn't be that big of a deal, right? Well, let's imagine that your windshield wipers are working, but you're going down the road at night and your headlights go out. Well, that's just in comparison to the entire body, that's just two very small parts. But when they're not working, the car is not at 100%. And what this passage is telling us is that the parts, you people out there who think you're part of your role isn't that important. When you aren't doing it, the body is not at 100%. When I'm not doing my part, the body is not at 100%. God has designed his church so that every body matters. God says, I need you. I think about passages like Psalm 139 verse 14 where the Bible says, I praise you, O God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I think about Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31 at the the end of day six, God doesn't say it's good. He doesn't say his creation was okay or mediocre. He says his creation was very good on day six and human beings were created on day six. There is something special about us. God said so. But tonight you may be thinking, well, I'm just a school teacher. Or I, I just I'm a businessman or I'm a businesswoman. Or, or I'm just a nurse, or I'm just a, a mom, or I'm just a, a dad, or I'm just a grandparent. And it's as if God is saying, yes. When you think you, you aren't that important, when you think you're just a teacher or just a businesswoman or just a nurse, he's saying, Yes, that's exactly what you are. The people you go to work with, the business you work at, You're a Christian there. The person who shares the office with you may not be. You are the only person perhaps that will be able to reach that person. You teachers, you may say, well, I'm just a teacher. Yes, you have the ability to impact thousands upon thousands of kids who don't have that influence at home. Nurses, you may say, well, I'm just a nurse. Yes, you are, but you have the ability to take care of people in ways that many of us have not been blessed to do. You may say, well, I'm just a parent or a grandparent. Yes, that's exactly what you are. And you have the ability to show people Jesus Christ and to lead them to heaven. God is saying, that's all you are. And that's all that I need. Because I created you. The passions that you have, I instilled in you. The gifts that you've been given, I gave them to you so that you can use them for my glory. God needs his children. Number three, God would say, Trust me. Psalms chapter 56, verses 3 and 4. The psalmist there says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in God. In God, whose, whose word that I praise, in God I trust. God's saying, listen, just trust me. Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six, maybe a passage we're familiar with, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. That's a a very easy part of that passage to do, right? But then listen to what comes next. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. There are gonna be things in life, there are gonna be situations that we simply have no clue why they happen. I love a quote that that a professor at school said, Dr. Crowell, one day in class, he said, if faith requires answers, then I am faithless. Think about that for a second. If faith requires answers, then I'm faithless. There are simply going to be things in our lives that we don't know the answers to. And isn't it such a blessing that that's okay because we're not in control. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world around us. It doesn't matter what happens in our life. We're not in control. And God is just simply saying to us, hey, trust me. Trust in in me with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge me and I will make straight your paths. Matt Collins kind of hit on this illustration on Sunday morning at the the, a. Or the early service, but he didn't exactly go the route that I thought he would. There was a couple of Sundays ago that SEC Network did this thing. It was called SEC Takeover. I don't know if you sports fans uh, saw any of that, but what it was is SEC Network dedicated just an entire day to a college. And so it was one Sunday afternoon. I'm an Auburn fan. You can hold it against me or not. It's okay. We can still love each other. but. It was Auburn's day for SEC Network, and so I was like, yes, I get to watch a good football game that we actually win. And so it was the 2014 Iron Bowl. And I can remember watching this live, and when the kicker, Adam Griffith, when he kicked the ball, it looked like it was going in. And I was just like, no. But it came up short, and I won't tell the rest of the story, but... But Auburn won. But I can remember when I was watching it live, there was just anxiety. I don't know. I was just nervous. Didn't know what was going to happen. I was just ready to see what was happening. But when I rewatched it on that Sunday, none of that, none of that happened. Why is that? Because I knew the outcome. Let's think about our lives for just a second. The, the times in your life where, where you're so stressed out the times in your life where you're you're just so exhausted about worrying about the future or or what job you're going to have because you just lost your job or or what your marriage is going to look like because it's in shambles or just all of the world events going on. It's because we seem to forget that the battle has already been won. When we look at our life and if we put eternity in mind, if we try to live with Eternity as our focus, the things in, the li- in our lives right now that, that we seem to get all worked up about, it'll cease to exist because we already know the outcome. Jesus wins. Every time, Jesus wins. And when we remember that, we're trusting in God. I think about the account in Mark of where Jesus walks on the water and we get this scene of of Peter coming out and he begins to sink and Jesus says, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? You see, in our lives, when we commit ourselves to being people of faith, When we we put our trust and we put our hope in things that are not of this world but are rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ, our fears cease to exist. But in our lives, when we don't have that faith that we need to, our fears will be greater than ever. Fear is directly related with faith, and when we have faith in God, when we remember that God is in control and that we already know the outcome that Jesus wins, we begin to trust in him. And that's what he says for us to do. Trust me. And then the last thing I want us to be reminded of tonight is the fact that God says, you're mine. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. John chapter 2 starting in verse 28 it says and now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him and shame at his coming if you know that he is righteous you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him chapter 3 verse 1 see what kind of love the father has given to us Number one, I love you. Remember that? That we should be called children of God. And so we are. May we never forget the blessing that it is to be called a child of God. I think we can sometimes get so, so busy that we seem to lose track of exactly why we're doing this Christian thing anyway. It's because we're children of God. But what's different about this reminder is is number one, two, and three are kind of God telling us to do that. But this fourth one, notice 1 John chapter three and verse 10. This last one, it isn't just something that everyone takes part of. Chapter three and verse 10, by this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So God is saying, hey, I want you to be reminded that you're mine, but you've got to do your part as well. I love you, I need you, trust me in your mind. Those are beautiful statements to be reminded of. Those are beautiful statements to hear, but but those aren't things that we should hear tonight and just go in one ear and go out the other. Those are statements in our life tonight that warrant a response. God's reminders warrant a response. And so as we, as we conclude tonight, I kind of want us to take those statements and kind of reverse them a little bit. And instead of God telling us these things, I want us to look at our life and say, well, hey, could I tell God these things? So let's go back to the first one. Number one, could you say, God, I love you. May we be reminded of how Jesus demonstrated that love in the last hours of his life? It was through silence. And when we think about our spiritual life today, do people know that we're Christians because we tell them? Do people know that we're Christians because they know where we go to church because we've had a conversation with them before? Let me ask it like this. Is Could you show your love for people and for God through silence? John chapter 13 and verse 35, Jesus says, by this, the world will know that you're my disciples. He doesn't say by this, the world will know that you're my disciples. If if you just come to church or if if you go to work and, and you tell people that, hey, well, come visit me at church or whatever it may be. It doesn't say that you will do it by just doing something. It says by this, the world will know you're my disciples. You have love for one another. Jesus portrayed his love for us through silence. Would others be able to see our love for God if we never said a word? Something to think about. Number two, could we say tonight, God, I need you? I'm very challenged by by the passage in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, Jesus is fixing to send out the 12 apostles. In in verse 1, it says, And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. That is some awesome stuff. I would love to be there to be sent out by the Savior. Can you imagine? What a blessing and what an honor that would be. But not so fast and not so easy. Verse 3, And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey. No staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there depart. And and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Did you notice that? Jesus didn't send out his 12 apostles with everything in the world and the gospel. He sent them out with... Nothing that they had ever known except the gospel. Could you have done it? Could you have left every earthly possession that you know? Could you have left every certainty that you know for the sake of the gospel? In our lives, is it that we need God or is it that we need stuff? Tonight, could you say, God, I need you. I don't need anything else in the world because it doesn't matter. I simply need you. Number three, could you say, God, I I trust you. I'm so tired of living this life where I try to be in control and I try to determine what's gonna happen and and I wanna know how this is gonna play out. I'm tired of that because I'm not in control and I'm ready to trust you. And lastly, could you say, God, I'm yours. I'm your child. Have you put on Jesus Christ in baptism? Have you been washed away for the forgiveness of sins? God gave us this avenue to spend eternity with him because he loves us. But maybe tonight you have left your first love that we talked about this morning. I think to Luke chapter 15 the story of the prodigal son but I want to I point out one verse there that may get lost in the picture. Chapter 15 verse 20 and it says and he arose and he came to his father notice this but while he was still a long way off I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but as far as distance, as far as the prodigal son left the father, he had to turn around and come straight back the exact same distance. But brothers and sisters tonight, can I tell you something that unlike the prodigal son in our lives, we don't have a long journey back to the father. Could tonight you say, God, I am yours. Through the thick, through the thin, through certainty, through uncertainty, I'm yours here on this earth and forevermore. I hope tonight that you've been reminded of of how much of a blessing it is to be a child of God. How much of a blessing it is to be able to call God our Father and to recognize that He is in control. That He is all-powerful, that He is all-knowing. And that he is all loving. Tonight, do you need to come back to him? Do you want to start your journey as a Christian by being baptized tonight? What's holding you back? Or maybe you've started the journey before, but you've just fell off. Would you come back to the Father tonight? If we could help you, please come as we stand and as we sing.